everyone. This is Charlie Lofton. Welcome to the Grove Church's Cultivate podcast. And our church, if you've ever been there, we have this um, mural that's right there on the front door that talks about that you belong. That's a beautiful mural that was put together by some incredible artists in our church. And it really kind of encapsulates a big, a big picture idea that we have at the Grove of just making sure that we are a really community-minded church, that we are a church that is really welcoming to all sorts of people, and that we don't want anybody to be hindered in their access to, to the gospel at all. And so over the next uh, few episodes here, we're going to just be spending some time just kind of diving deep into some different aspects of what that means for us, the kind of church that God has specifically called us to be, that allows us to be the kind of church that is really welcoming to new people, that doesn't put out any barriers to other people, and in a sense, how to be a community-minded church as well. And, and one of the things that I think is that incredibly important in being a really good community-minded, welcoming church, a lot of that has to do, like a big, a big picture piece of it, I believe, is your attitude towards other churches. Because you come into a community, and obviously they're depending on where you are anywhere, except in certain, I mean, maybe other countries, I mean, you're going to, you're going to see a lot of different churches, a lot of different denominations, and you can walk in uh, to a church and be like, okay, well, what kind of church is this? And what is their attitude towards other churches? And you can end up in a place that feels very possessive, very territorial, maybe even judgmental about the other churches in their community. And honestly, what I believe is that the more that we have that attitude about our own church, that our church is the right church, I think it does more damage, not only to your reputation in the community, not only to Jesus's name, big picture, but also to the person that you're trying to welcome. Because if you are the church that, quote, has it right, and you are the church that does it right, thinks right, and that you're the right one, and everyone out, out there is the wrong one, then I think a new person can feel intimidated by that because... They may not come from the right church. They're just trying to find a church, and it can be intimidating and overwhelming. And so I think it's important for us to explore a little bit about why there are as many churches as there are and what is the right attitude for us to have towards other churches in our community. And so we're going to give you a a brief history lesson here because so many people do have this question. I think it's an important question to answer. Why are there so many different types of churches, so many different types of denominations, and why do we seem to lack the ability to get along and and in any real way be one church? So we'll just start back. Obviously, when when the gospel first started going out in the book of Acts, I mean, there was the only sense in which there were multiple churches is there were churches in different locations. And even if there were multiple churches in one particular community, it was just a, a a matter of size, a home church of some kind, and you can only accommodate a certain number of people. But all of those churches were linked and unified in following the apostles' teachings. Um, as leadership structures began to develop, they were they they submitted and connected with all those same leaders. And you see throughout the book of Acts, no sense in which there were multiple churches in what we think of it, but just churches in multiple locations. And for the next few hundred years, that's just kind of the way that things operated. There, there really wasn't a really strong hierarchical leadership that kind of connected all of those churches. They were just loosely connected to one another through location, and they would pass 
letters and thoughts, and they would interact with each other. They would hold councils to kind of talk through different theological points, but there really wasn't a strong hierarchy until really until the late the late 300s. Now, someone who is an ardent Catholic would say that there has always been a structural leadership of a pope from the very beginning, starting with Peter. But I'm not, I mean, I'm not here to, to beef with Catholic history right now, but really the thing that we would consider kind of the papacy, that there is a pope and a real church hierarchy really didn't exist really until the fourth century. And even still after that, essentially for the next 600 years or so, there was really one church. I mean, there, there would be schisms that would break off, heresies that would be, have to be put down. But really, there weren't multiple denominations. All churches kind of aligned under one hierarchy, one leadership, and what has historically then come to be known as the Catholic Church, all the way up until the year 1054, when a thing that is called the Great Schism, and what schism is, just think of it as a break, a, div- a division of some, time, of some kind based on you know, a theology or practice. So there was a, there was a schism in 1054. So if you've ever been around and you've seen, you know, a Greek Orthodox church or a Russian Orthodox church that split in 1054 was between what historically now what we call the Catholic church and what is now called the Orthodox church. And by and large, the, the division over that was more political than theological. Um, as the Catholic church was kind of growing in its influence, its power and its leadership consolidated around uh, Rome, which is, of course, where um, the Pope lives today in the Vatican, which is in Rome. And as as power began to consolidate there, the people in the more eastern side of what of, of Christianity at that time, again, Greece, Russia, places like that, they began to feel isolated and did not really believe that power needed to be contained in one spot, but should be more spread out through regions. And the papacy was kind of consolidating its power and they didn't like that and and they and they broke off. There were some theological positions that um were in dispute including the use of icons which are these deeply powerful religious paintings that they they believe were representative of God and should be used in worship. Catholic Church really did really wasn't into that. There's some minor differences or at least what you would conceive to be a minor difference about the Trinity and the Holy Spirit specifically. That was a matter of conflict. Um, I'm not even really going to go into what it is. By the time I, I explained it, it would take a really, really long time, and I'm not sure that you would understand anyway. And I don't mean you. I mean any of us. It's really, It really is, you know, a thousand years later seems really, really minor, but to them it was of, of great significance. And so then in 1054, the church really kind of split into two, the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church, and it kind of went along there for about another 500 years until around the year 1517, when what is known as the Protestant Reformation came about. And the Protestant Reformation was initially an attempt by some guys to reform the Catholic Church and some of its teaching, primarily around they believed that the Catholic Church had become too focused on tradition and not about biblical teaching, and that biblical teaching had gotten lost and were, were relying too much on the tradition of the church. And it also had been some in in the minds of the reformers that the Catholic church had moved away from the basic doctrines of salvation by grace through faith alone. And it had become way too works oriented that it was possible to earn your salvation through, through things like penance or through, you know, active giving to the Catholic church. And so a guy named Martin Luther, who's kind of the, one of the, the, the primary guys, you know, starts this protest 
And again, with the idea of the Catholic Church reforming, but after years of conflict, ultimately he was kicked out of the Catholic Church. And there were two other guys that are that are really kind of well known from that. Another guy named John Calvin, who was kind of the father of Presbyterian churches or Calvinism. Some of you may be familiar with that. And another guy named Ulrich Zwingli, which most people don't know. And it was just really important to me for historical accuracy to make sure we include Zwingli. And part of me just wanted to have a podcast at the Grove Church that had the name Zwingli in it. But these three guys, along with a group called the Anabaptists, Anna, not anti, but Anna in the sense of baptize again, a group of Anabaptists that were kind of the first people really to really make a strong emphasis against infant baptism and that only believers should be baptized and the children of Christians shouldn't be baptized. These three people and that one group were kind of the main groups of reformers that were happening in this 16th century. And the inability of these three people and this group of Anabaptists to be able to get along and kind of unite around the things that united them, um, the salvation of grace, by grace, grace alone, faith alone, scripture alone, those ideals that they all held, their inability really in that point to unite around those things and to let other differences be minor is really kind of what caused a lot of the conflict today. So at that point, it could have just as easily been, we've got the Orthodox, the Catholics, and now the Protestants. But Protestantism from the very beginning turned into multiple strands of, of you know, Protestant Christianity. And a lot of the, as, as, as silly or crazy or unusual as it might seem to us, I mean, a significant number of these distinctions came over the way baptism and the Lord's Supper should be practiced. And so through that, there were three or four initial strands of Christianity of, that, that broke out from that and really began the pattern and this new rhythm that has happened in the 500 years since then that churches should break up or split off into completely different churches over not simply major theological disputes, but minor theological disputes. And in our next episode, that's what we're going to talk about is making sure that we as Christians understand the difference between those two and that we have an attitude that promotes unity amongst churches by understanding that difference. But over the, over the course of the last 500 years, church history has been riddled with our inability really to have unity, even though we disagree about certain things. And part of this really is a byproduct. And this is where I kind of want to switch and say, and to have a bit of a more positive attitude about it, one of the reasons why the church was able to be so unified for so long was that the printing press didn't exist. And so what the Bible said and what the Bible meant was you, the only way you knew is because you went to church and you heard what that guy said. And what that guy said was what the Bible said because you, you didn't have access to being able to read it yourself. And by and large, probably you couldn't read anyway. And so there was a, there was a lot, there was a, a greater ability for common, for, for common people and their beliefs to kind of be kept under control because power and the ability to interpret what the scripture said was consolidated amongst a very small group of people. However, with the invention of the printing press and now people having more access to the Bible and increases in literacy rates suddenly allowed more and more people to have direct access to God's word. 
And so now I, I don't want to really have this debate, really. Is it an overall positive that literacy rates inc- uh, increased, that more and more people had firsthand direct access to the Bible? Is that, a, is that a net positive or a net negative? I feel like we can all agree, or at least we should agree, that that is a net positive, not just for the world in general, but also for people's individual personal faith in Christ and really the the ability for the movement of Christianity to spread all over the world. I think we could agree that it's a net positive. But the fact then that more and more people have access and more and more people are learning, more people are are studying and understanding the scripture for themselves inevitably is going to have um, a lot of disagreements and people having different thoughts and ideas about what about what the scriptures really teach. And so as such, now there are churches everywhere and there are enough Christians that you can unite around any number of particular theological points or ways of practicing Christianity. And so now we have to decide, even if we believe that the, the, the great amount of division that's had and the, and, and, the, and the theological and church practice points that divide us or church government ideas, these kinds of things that divide us, even if we think that the history that has gotten us here, it, we view that in a negative way. I think it is important for us now to have a different idea, a different attitude, like as we look and see it now, and we see that there are so many different types of churches, I think it is important for us to the best that we can to focus on the positives of that. And here is why, here's my perspective, and ultimately I want it to be the Grove's perspective, and I would love for it to be your perspective as well, obviously, that's why we're here, about about how we should view all of the different churches in a particular area. And there's a passage in 1 Corinthians 9 that really isn't necessarily speaking about there being multiple churches. It is Paul talking about his approach to spreading the gospel to a to the world. And so I think it does connect on, on some level, even though it's not directly speaking to there being multiple churches, because obviously there weren't multiple churches at this time. But it kind of shows Paul's attitude about how we reach the world with the gospel. First Corinthians 9, starting verse 19. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some." I do all things, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. So what I want to focus on there in, in verse 22, where he says, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. Change Paul's first person singular pronoun I to the first person plural. We have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, we might save some. If a different approach, if a different attitude, if a different style of preaching, a different style of music, different differences, you know, united, uniting around different theological positions, emphasizing certain things over other things, having certain types of attitude. If, if by these different means we can reach different types of people, then that is an overwhelming positive. If you walk into the Grove Church and you see a guy who is dressed a little too casually preaching, 
who's using a little too much humor in his messages and you find that off-putting and you go someplace that has a little bit more formality with a little more kind of what would be considered a more reverent attitude about teaching and preaching and the way that he should conduct himself and you find that that's what draws you in more, great. If you find that a worship style that is more contemplative and quiet and reflective over more loud and celebratory, if you find that is what is going to draw you to Christ, great. All of that is great. If you're looking for a more Holy Spirit-centered, exciting kind of worship style and theological approach, great. All of these things are great because by all possible means, we might save and reach some people. And so, in fact, there is a sense in which our diversity can be our strength. We're different people's personalities, different people's passions can be united and come together and reach different types of people. There are certain types of people that will just not ever be able to be reached by the Grove. There were certain types of people that will not be able to be reached by First Baptist or First Methodist or First Presbyterian. And and you have to, you know, there's a humility that comes from that, from understanding that I don't necessarily have the ability or the capability of reaching everyone, but by different means, different churches, different pastors, different leaders with different passions and different strengths, we can all come together and by different means and different attitudes and different ideas that we can all reach different people with the gospel. So I don't know if you've ever noticed this phenomenon where anytime there's a Lowe's in a town, like right across the street or within a couple of blocks, they'll put a Home Depot and it just seems like that they're always right next to each other or the, you know, two burger places right next to each other, two chicken places right next to each other. It's, 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 it's interesting the way that that, that seems to happen. And I'm sure people who are very knowledgeable about that could explain it better. But, you know, there's no sense in which Lowe's and Home Depot are working together to this, to the degree that they are, you know, you go to Lowe's and they don't have exactly what you want. Home Depot wants you to know we're right here next to them. You should come here and get it. And so they're trying to reach people, I guess, who are dissatisfied with, with Lowe's, but there's an, Every real sense, Lowe's and Home Depot are competitors with each other, fighting over a limited number of people. And that, by and large, is the perspective that a lot of people have about churches, two competitors who are competing over the same group of people. I would prefer, and this is kind of thing that you can say here in Northwest Arkansas, because everybody's kind of familiar with these large companies that have offices here in um Northwest Arkansas, and their and their main customer is Walmart. So we'll take Procter and Gamble, a, a group that has a lot of different types of brands: mouthwash, toothpaste, all sorts of different things. Now, the mouthwash people and the toothpaste people are not in competition with each other. They all work for Procter and Gamble, but they are you they they work together, even though they are doing different things. They are working together to reach one customer base. And that is the attitude that I wish and that I hope that we can have with other churches. We are not in competition with them over a limited number of people who are willing to go to church. We are partners with them using different methods, different products, if you will, in order to reach a very large group of people and that when they win, we win. 
The toothpaste people don't get mad that Walmart sold more mouthwash, and we don't get upset that other churches are having success in reaching the people that God has called them to reach. And 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 we're sh- and we should have this attitude that says we are all on one team together, overseen by the same God, led by the same God, with the same mission, reaching people, hoping that they will be able to find and experience the gospel. And we will leave it with this this pa- this verse in John thirteen thirty five, where Jesus looks at his disciples and says, "And this is how people are going to know." that you're my disciples. They will know you're my disciples if you love one another. There are the things that he says about the way that we love people, not one another, people outside the churches, plenty of other things that Jesus says that distinguish us as his disciples. But in this instance, one of the things he says, a defining characteristic of being a disciple of Jesus is the way that we love each other. And too often people read that verse and think, well, how does that how does that apply? It's like, well, the way that that applies is is that our small group is really loving. We have a loving small group, or our particular church is really nice, and we like each other. And and honestly, the best we can do, and some people aren't great at that, and sometimes the best that we can do is that the limited number of people who choose to worship in the same building as me, I can love them. That's our best application of that verse in John. When really. The people who are outside of the church don't see any difference between one building and another building. And if they are judging us as to whether or not we are Jesus's disciples based on the way the people in the different buildings love each other, then I think that we can all agree that we are failing miserably. We are failing miserably to show the world that we are Jesus's disciples because of the animosity that too often we show towards one another who are worshiping God in different buildings on Sunday mornings. And so I think it is important for us to kind of take this more partnering role and to take something that historically maybe has been a negative and turn it into a positive. Hey, we're all on the same team doing different things so that by all means we can reach people. And if we can show that kind of love and support to one another, even if we worship in different churches, we will be able to more clearly show the world that we truly are Jesus's disciples. So I believe that's a really important characteristic for us at the Grove Church. And really, I think it's an important thing for all of us as as God's people. And so if we're going to be an effective church and an effective people in reaching the world, making sure that people feel loved and feel like that they can belong, I think our attitude towards other churches is going to be critical. We'll spend some time over the next couple of episodes, maybe just kind of diving even deeper into a couple of these ideas about how we can maintain unity, both within the church and 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 from church to church, embracing diversity instead of demanding conformity. So we'll be talking about it over the next couple of episodes. I encourage you to join us um, and, and listen in on the rest of those. And we'd love to see you sometime on a Sunday. You can visit us at thegrovechurch.org. You can find out more there. We'd love to see you in person on a Sunday, or you can join us online. We're streaming those services online on Sunday. Either way, we'd love to connect with you. Thanks for joining us. You guys take care.